This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. You are experiencing an intentional life. Do you know what it really means to be intentional and what it is like to do, think, and act with intention? And most important, can we all live intentionally? Valeria interviews Kelsey Shad. She is a licensed professional counselor, LPC, in the state of Texas and holds a master's degree in psychology, as well as a master's in counseling from Houston Baptist University, HBU, During her time at HBU, she completed a thesis on media influence and symptoms associated with eating disorders, which led her to practice in both inpatient and outpatient hospital settings that focused on mental health and addiction-related disorders. Through this work, she found purpose and advocacy in helping populations that are deeply stigmatized as well as underserved. She took this passion to a residential treatment facility, RTC, where she provided therapy services to adolescent females in Child Protective Services, CPS, who had significant trauma history as well as maladaptive behaviors. Currently, Kelsey works at Prosperity Counseling Services, which is a private practice in Katy, Texas. She specializes in trauma work and is trained in eye movement desensitizations reprocessing, EMDR, and trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, TFCBT. Kelsey's passion is rooted in trauma and how attachment styles are impacted. She finds significant value in understanding how we learn to love and how we integrate ourselves into relationships by exploring childhood unmet needs, lack of praise, emotional neglect, and high achievement expectations. Meet Kelsey at psychologytoday.com backslash US backslash therapists backslash Kelsey dash Shad dash Katie dash TX backslash 937865 and prosperity backslash staff backslash Kelsey dash Shad dash LPC backslash. Here's the interview with Kelsey Shad. In your own words, who is Kelsey Shad? So I would definitely describe myself as being a very, very, very family-oriented person. I think a lot of my friends and family would even say the same thing. They're my brother, my mom, my dad, and my sister-in-law. They're my people. And so I feel like most of my identity is rooted in family um, aspects. But besides that, like I just really feel like I'm a very goofy, outgoing, very competitive human, um, <laughs> the competitive part, like emphasis. Um, but I'm very, I like very passionate person. Um, I just like really being around other people. I love my basset hound. 
reading, um, CrossFit, all the things. So social butterfly, if you will. Uh, Yeah, that's cute. (laughs) That's beautiful to me because that reflects that idea, this very basic idea that we're all connected, that life is about connection, human connection. That's what I hear from you. When you say passion, I know you use this word throughout your bio, or maybe once or twice. Mm -hmm. So what is the difference between passion and purpose and also intention? I would love to know if I can add another word or idea concept is expectations. How do we know the difference between all of these concepts? Well, it's interesting because, you know, like in, in sessions, we talk, I talk a lot with my clients because I feel like we often do talk about purpose and feeling fulfilled. And we try to find that purpose through our passion. So it's interesting to try to separate them because I don't know if you can. Like a lot of times, the things that we are so passionate about, they give us purpose. Um, we feel super grounded in our passions. They give us kind of a meaning. You used the word earlier, connection. Um, and it's so beautiful because I feel like a lot of the things that we have interest in or that we admire or we where do we do for hobbies, like those really do fuel that fire for our purpose in life. You know, like um, I look at like just kind of my passion for fitness, um, my passion for reading and all that kind of stuff and um, my family. And that does like fill my purpose in life. I feel very connected to who I am as a person when those aspects of me are very fulfilled. So I know that didn't like really define them differently, but I think it's because I personally view them as kind of being intertwined and leaning on one another. How do we know when we are being intentional about something or we're just expecting something to happen, or even having a goal. That came to me in that question when I know the main topic today for our conversation is intention. So that came to me. How do I know the difference between intention, goal, and expectations? Mm-hmm. Um, so f- for me, like expectation is such a difficult word. Um, I oftentimes feel like when we have expectations, depending on where those expectations are rooted from, we can really set ourselves up for disappointment or um, failure. And so kind of exploring what expectation means for each individual and primarily who's setting that. If our expectation is based on culture, um, family, society, are we ever going to be able to live up to that? You know, does it actually match our goal that we have? And so when I think of a goal, I think of it being very individualized, something that I set for myself, you know, um, I think we've all heard of like the smart goal mentality, right? Like specific, measurable, attainable, realistic in time. And I think when we set those for ourselves, they're very individual and they're meant to be concrete and specific so that we can attain them. Whereas I feel like having that expectation De- again, depending on where it's from, is super rigid. You know, you're, yeah, there's, right. it's just, it's a hard to live up to that. That is so, um, so true. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say the intention part. So um, intentionality is, is one of my favorite things to work on with every single client. Um, and when I talk about intentionality, we move through life, all of us at any given moment, pretty much on autopilot. Um, life is crazy and chaotic and we get into a very big routine. And a lot of times if we think about, Hey, like, where are you intentional in your day? Where do you connect yourself? you you find that a lot of people are stunted by that question because we don't slow down to think about 
where we actually can give our mind space to connect and ground itself. We're so used to moving a hundred miles per hour that there's such, um, there's such a need for us to enjoy that cup of coffee, you know, feel it go into your system or sit outside on, especially with the weather getting nicer, right. To sit outside and just exist and hear the nature, hear whatever's happening. Like we don't move with enough intention. We just go, go and go. So with that in mind, do you have any spiritual concepts, uh, belief systems or ideas, views of yourself in life? Man, that is such an interesting question. Um, I feel like spirituality to me is just kind of the word I keep thinking of throughout all of this kind of conversation is just the connection piece of it. So again, as you know, for sure, spirituality is so different than religion. Um, And so I feel like spirituality allows there to be more room for us to really explore who we are um, in depth, intrinsically, um, who we are and like what we connect ourselves to. Is that a religion? Okay. Um, Is it a belief system that's so different? Awesome. You know, but I feel like it's how we personally connect to the world around us. Mm. Um, And I don't know if it's really defined by anything other than like what makes us feel whole as a human. Mm. I love your wisdom, Kelsey. (laughs) Yes, feeling whole. Because a lot of times we tend to feel pieces of life, right? I am a piece of life, feeling this, all the emotions. And I love what you said earlier about intention, that we don't stop to just exist Mm -mm. and just ah, kind of breathe in this moment and be here. Like, huh, this is interesting. (laughs) Almost like with, um, yeah, with no I'm tempted to say no mind (laughs) in the sense of no thinking, no overthinking for sure. But there's no need need to analyze or explain anything, but just um, enjoy this, Mm -hmm. whatever we call this, that we call life really. To me, it's just this experience of being here. And I don't even know what this is exactly. There's no, (laughs) yeah, there's no name. Nothing can define this to me. And with that in mind, too, so let me ask you this question. What do you feel is the purpose of the human experience as a whole, not individually, but as a whole? Would you go back to that sense of connection, of wholeness, or would you say something else? I would definitely say I go back to connection, you know. I, you know, the, the crazy thing is, is like, you know, working in private practice, especially with COVID, the most interesting piece that I really got from that experience was there's people who absolutely are, um, oh my gosh, I'm introverted and always kind of had the mentality of, oh, I'm a lone wolf and I'm okay being by myself and I'm okay existing without human connection. And when COVID happened and it was a forced isolation and you were forced to really be by yourself, what we found is like spikes in depression and spikes in anxiety. And I think that that taught so many people that social interaction and connection with those around us is very, very important. And so when we think about like the human experience and the purpose of it, I do feel like it's to establish a lot of connections and make make relationships with other people, find commonalities, interact, you know, find that purpose within each communication and connection that we develop. So when I think spiritually about these things, about the connection that you speak of, 
is becoming healed enough from conditions of mind and body so I can connect with others, always at a deeper level in the sense of love, of compassion, of kindness. That's It keeps coming back to me as a practice, almost like something that never ends in a way, just keeps going. Uh, how deeper can I get with this connection? How much love can I give? How How open can I be? to this experience when it's very challenging and difficult. Mm -hmm. So those are my, it's a contemplation, really a reflection, but it's a practice. I do that every day. It's a very interesting one too. (laughs) Not easy. (laughs) Yes, Cass, you're about to say something. (laughs) No, I said it's amazing. Like that, that, that idea and that mentality is amazing. From your perspective, what is to be mentally healthy or emotionally well? How would you describe that? (laughs) <laughs> my first thought is like, gosh, like, I don't even know if there's a like mm. a standard for that, right? Like emotionally healthy. Yeah, I feel like a lot of it would just come down to like awareness, um, I feel like is is probably the biggest piece of the emotion, like the being mentally healthy part of it is because we're all going to eventually have trials and tribulations. And I think what makes that process so much more manageable is how aware we are of what's happening in our body, what's happening mentally, what we need when these things happen. And I feel like that is one of the main components of being a mentally or mentally emotionally sound person is just having that self-awareness of what's happening Mm. and being able to manage it appropriately. Mm. Yeah, that's a. Interesting because I asked the question, what is healing to a lot of people that I interview? And I get that answer too. They actually define healing and freedom the same way, emotional healing and freedom, that just being able to know what's happening within the body, mind, and manage whatever it's coming in, all the inputs and everything that's trying to be expressed too, if it is harmful. So that is, um, it's really Yeah, it's really beautiful, though, to think that way. And I wonder if this is something that is um, a constant practice or there is a a moment in time where we can say that I'm healed, I'm free. What do you think, Kelsey? I I absolutely think it is a daily daily thing that we have to be so conscientious about and put in that effort for, you know, I think we're all human and there's going to be days where it just feels like it's, it's very difficult to intrinsically look at ourselves or to have that self-awareness or to move towards healing. And so I think that that process is definitely, um, the healing process is such a real, like a true roller coaster, like a true just definition of being human and being life. And there's going to be moments of progress met with moments of feeling like you're going backwards or moments of being stagnant. And I think we have to be okay with that process because that's just what makes it a very beautiful is that we're all kind of going through this healing journey. You know, like I, I have struggled with anxiety for years and I'm a mental health therapist. Right. And it's just, I'm in my process of continuously healing. And there's days where that healing process takes a back seat and it is just a day, um, and so I think it's always a work in progress for every single one of us. And it takes that that effort every single day to move in that direction. I agree. And, and I even call commitment. It's almost like this commitment, right, to heal. That's a perfect word. Yeah, I love that word for some reason, commitment. It sounds a little um, 
almost like a straitjacket, <laughs> trying to be committed all the time. It doesn't sound like, you know, you're free, <laughs> but it kind of resonates the word for now. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, I say that a lot. What was the main inspiration to become a therapist? <laughs> I love this question because I feel like I feel like um, I have heard in like my when I was in my master's program, like people had beautiful stories about what made them become a mental health therapist. And when I reflect on mine, like <laughs> I I think I fell into this a little bit differently. Like to be very transparent, I thought I was going to be an athletic trainer and could not hear the heartbeat when using a stethoscope and got yeah. told like, Hey, you need to get out of this program. Uh, um, yeah. long story short, I was just watching criminal minds and I became very fascinated with the human brain and the way that we attach ourselves to very different things. Um, childhood, how that affects us. And I was like, let me try mental health. Um, as an adult, though, looking at that, like, I feel like I had enough going on in, in my my personal life and in my own childhood that probably would have led to this road at some point or another, you know, so I think very looking at it as an adult, I'm like, oh, there was lots going on that kind of made me really reflect on human condition and the way we think. But um, at that time, it was really kind of watching Criminal Minds and being like, this is so interesting, mm-hmm. and fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. So in a way, life is kind of choosing us to do certain things. I really feel that way. I don't know why, but I feel like we're not really making choices. We've, it seems like we are, but life is kind of um, taking us in, in different directions, in certain directions because we are ready, <laughs> because we have the skills already naturally. Really, it feels that way. Yeah, I agree. When do we know we are ready to be healed? Is that something that it takes, let's say, a call? Are we called to be healed or suffering is the best calling? It was my case. And mm-hmm. what are some of the obstacles to healing from your perspective as a therapist? I think some of the obstacles to healing is a lot of times like people's support system that they have in place. You know, um, I find it with some of my clients, like some of the biggest struggles is if they leave session and they have different insights or they have things that they're practicing, but yet they go home to an environment that's really not conducive to healing or they're surrounded by individuals who don't support that, you know, um, we look at different generations or even sometimes cultures who really don't value therapy or healing yeah. Um, yeah. specifically. Right. And so I think that there are some barriers such as that, like depending on generation supports culture. Um, but also too, if we're just looking at like each individual, like sometimes we can, we can get in our own way of really, we can be our biggest barrier of healing. Um, and so, Yeah. In what way we become our own barrier to healing? What are some examples of that, Kelsey? Um, I think it's just like pretty, pretty much the the idea where people. So I don't know if you've ever heard this or read this before, but there's there's a sentiment that really talks about people who are busy twenty four seven and they don't ever slow down. Um, and it's this idea that if we stack ourselves so much, we don't have to slow down and feel, and we don't have to slow down and think, or the trauma that's happened into, to, to our lives and to us isn't as loud because we're busy. And so when I say that, I think that's what I think of when we're our own biggest 
barrier sometimes is like, sometimes we don't acknowledge that we have a problem because it's just so much easier to kind of stack ourselves with productivity so that we don't have to slow down. Or we kind of have this narrative in our head that's like, I'm fine, I'm doing fine. And those statements can come from childhood. They can come from a caregiver, a very big role model in our lives, right? So a lot of times it's just kind of the statements that we have going on in our head that can make us feel like it's fine. This is normal. You're fine. Everything's fine. And then just kind of like being productive so we don't have to slow down to actually acknowledge that things are happening inside. Why are we so afraid of emotions, of those powerful emotions? Do you wonder? They're terrifying. Oh yeah, my gosh, they they're so right. terrifying. You know, one of the um, the most difficult exercises is to have your clients or people in general, like sit with an uncomfortable emotion. Uh, we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. So a lot of times we identify with what we call primary emotions. So those are like anger, happiness, and sadness. And it's so much easier to say that we're like angry and have that moment than it is to sit in an emotion that's super uncomfortable to find out, oh, I actually feel resentful of this person or I feel betrayed and I feel hurt. And it's so vulnerable to go there that a lot of times it's easier to be like, oh, no, I'm good. Like, I don't need to talk about that. It's fine. <laughs> it's scary. I think what it is for me, what has been, is just trying to get along that connection piece. So that has gotten in the way too, because then I quickly kind of dismissed or tried to forget those uh, powerful emotions so I don't go deeper into them. So I don't have to kind of, I don't have to let go of people around me because that's really what it seems something in me is trying to do. Like the emotions mm -hmm. are so powerful, you shouldn't be around this person because that's the reason why you're feeling the way you are. But then you yeah, had the compassion piece and, and I don't know exactly why, maybe because the spirituality piece too, because I'm so into spirituality that I believe everything, there's no separation, everything is a mirror. So that person is actually showing me what is in me. I'm not seeing something that it's actually happening, but my own reflection. Mm -hmm. So I guess I try to go as deep as I can. And then mm -hmm. that stops me from making those assumptions or even choices of moving away from certain people. So I wonder if that happens with other people too and yourself, Kelsey. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it does. I, there's actually like a, um, there was a, a theorist who actually had that belief that what we don't like in other people is a reflection of something that we are missing in ourselves and that we're envious of or we wish we had, you know, so there's, there's a framework that really dives into that piece of it is like, you know, what are we missing in ourselves that we're seeing in somebody else and this emotion is coming up for us. So, so it's an interesting piece. You currently work at the uh, Prosperity Counseling Services. It's a private practice. Yes. I think you mentioned earlier, and I have that in, throughout the intro too. You specialize in trauma work, and you have some methods that you use. Eye movement, uh, desensitization, I'm not sure if I can pronounce that word, mm -hmm. EMDR. And then you also have another one, trauma-focused cognitive behavior therapy. So talk to me about yeah, the approach to mental health that you currently use. Mm -hmm. So I am trained in EMDR um, and trauma-focused CBT, but my, like, honestly, sometimes I, uh, those are kind of last resort methodologies for me. And so like my honest approach to mental health and 
when individuals come to therapy, whether it's for trauma or self-esteem or whatever, um, a lot of my approach is, is truly, and I know it's very cliche, but it is really meeting them where they're at in their exact needs. Um, and kind of feeling that out for them first, you know, there's a lot of times that people come to therapy and the bottom and core of their heart, like they want to be there, but like we were talking earlier, it's terrifying. And so opening that can of worms takes a little bit of time. So if I were to rush into a modality or a theoretical approach, that's intimidating and that's pushy. And so one of my biggest things when working with trauma is to really allow my clients like that space to be comfortable and feel safe to go there. A lot of my approach initially is talk therapy and history gathering and identifying a timeline, identifying commonality themes and habits. And then like if they do get stuck, then we look at EMDR and EMDR is a bilateral stimulation that uses your eye movement to really tap into some of those trauma memories that are trapped Um, And sometimes when we're unable to talk about them and talk therapy, EMDR kind of brings those to the surface in a comfortable way for some clients. And so it uses dual stimulation. It's It's a pretty interesting approach, but it's not one that I will immediately do out of the gates because I think that there's kind of some steps that it takes to get there. So a lot of times, all these emotions, this memory, they call the a cell memory, really. Everything stays in the body when we have a trauma. Perhaps not everything, but a lot of that, of the trauma. So like has been my case, in a lot of the mental, psychological issues I used to have, I don't have them anymore, but I feel at the level of the body. So is that something that EMDR would help me with in this case? Because I feel only the body becoming uneasy around certain situations, probably remembering the trauma, but the mind's not involved. I mean, that's a, it's an interesting kind of concept. Um, I, I think it would be interesting to see if EMDR would be beneficial, you know, because like my initial thought process to that is like if there's physical symptoms and we're still feeling that some of this trauma is trapped in our body, I'd be curious through EMDR or even just talking, right? Like if there is something that's still trapped somewhere in our unconscious brain um, and that our body is just holding on to it because it's not yet ready to come to that surface. And so that's kind of an interesting point for me is part of me wonders if it's still somewhere just trapped in that unconscious and we're waiting for it to come out and EMDR absolutely can do that. Going back to the topic of um, intention and intentional living, the email you sent me, you mentioned something interesting about the obstacles to living that way intentionally. And Mm -hmm. you said media comparisons that can create anxiety and depression that gets in the way. Talk to me for a moment about that. I would love to hear more about media comparison, the internet, TV, or all of them. Oh my gosh, all of them. Yeah, um, we're so we're such a generation in society currently that's so plugged in. Um, our phone has access to so much, whether people are on the internet or Instagram, TikTok, all the social media platforms, TV, magazines, right? Like you see people's highlight reel. And there's a tendency for all of us to compare someone's highlight reel to our behind the scenes bloopers or our behind the scenes just in general. And it really does create a lot of depression, um, self-esteem issues, anxiety for individuals who are very plugged in. They're comparing 
body image to what they see. They're comparing milestones in life to other people. Um, and it's, it's really difficult to feel like you can keep up. And what is the best strategy to avoid or end this kind of behavior? Would you say just um, let it go? Let go of TV, of all kinds of social media, kind of um, watching connection, or is there other way of doing this? I think there's a, I think there's a lot of different ways, you know, depending on, on what's happening, right? Like a lot of times my challenge to individuals when it's with social media is kind of looking into who you follow, right? Like what are the platforms that you're seeing pop up? Is there a way to adjust who you follow to be more appropriate, right? Like I'm going to speak about body image, following some in fitness inspiration people could be great, but at other times it can make you feel like you're not doing enough. So maybe following some pages that debunk body dysmorphia, or not debunk body dysmorphia, but like talk about it, um, showcase like how much images are photoshopped these days, right? But there's also a good a good strategy of limiting how much we're on it per day, limiting what we access on it per day. But on an individual level, it's a conversation of like, why do we feel like we need to compare ourselves to other people's milestones? And so there's external ways to combat that, but more of the work comes from the comparisons that we're doing individually and within our own mind and kind of exploring why, where do we feel like we should be in comparison to where you are now? And what comes to me as a reflection or perhaps even a question is this is this happening because of this overly identification with the body that we really believe we're just the body and then that becomes our almost like a reference mm -hmm. to uh, connect relate to the world that's kind of interesting to see I know extroverts they do that a lot more than introverts I'm an introvert and I, I remember always being more of a thinker like reflecting and more inside of my own head. But yeah. I see extroverts, yeah, I have a lot of friends who are extroverts and they're quite the opposite. Yeah, they move in the world differently. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's merit to that. Um, I think that, that extroverts definitely identify themselves way more on social interactions and connections. But it's pretty interesting to actually dive into extroverts and introverts because I don't know if you've heard the phrasing of like someone's an introverted extrovert or someone's an extroverted yeah. introvert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so many different like variations of that. But it, I, I always think it's really interesting because I feel like even the most extroverted people need that time to recharge and have that introspective period just the same way that introverts love introspection but also need that connection outside of themselves to connect body to body human to human you know so I think it's a delicate balance between mm, the two yeah um, so what is the antidote to low self-esteem what would you say <clears throat> oh interesting I think it I was like, I know that that's just a, a very broad question. And yeah. like my therapy brain wants to dive into well, <laughs> yeah. where is the self located? <laughs> right. Um, I, 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 so, I mean, I guess let me just stick with that piece of it though. Like, I feel like something to combat that and challenge it would be more so I, figuring out like where the self-esteem is located uh, and, and what it's about. And then I feel like the not fixing it, but the healing of it really comes from where do we feel it the most, you know? So like 
the thing that keeps coming up for me with self-esteem is um, like I have a couple kids who their self-esteem is really rocked with peers and feeling like they really don't fit in or they have to live up to these expectations and standards. And so combating that looks like trying to figure out why they all of a sudden, why their self-worth is, or their like need for love is tied up into what they can give to people or what they're successful at or what they can bring to the table. Like who's taught them that, you know? And so a lot of times it's very specific to what exactly the self-esteem is low, what area the self-esteem is low in and tapping into that piece of it to figure out how we combat it differently. So it looks very different. It could be a lot of probing into some childhood. It could be figuring out how we identify our worth. It could be building a very different support group or understanding boundaries. So it looks like a lot of different things. We need to know specific areas. That makes sense. One of the things that have helped me a lot, it's acceptance. One, accepting the past, but there was my relationship with the past, being traumatized with everything that happened. And then recently, the work that I have done for so long is, of the last years, self-love, self-compassion, self-acceptance, of course, self-kindness. That really, really helped in all areas, really. All the the issues I had, low self-esteem was present. It kind of faded away. So it's interesting to see. That's great. Yeah. So the self-love, self-compassion piece has really, really helped. Do you also add some pieces of that into your work as a therapist, Kelsey? Absolutely. Self-compassion is is a huge one, figuring out like why we're so unkind to ourselves and offering that grace that we're so willing to give to other people, trying to give that same compassion to ourselves. So I have these ending questions, but before that, I would like to ask you about your practice. Are you open to new clients and do you offer therapy online and in person, also for groups and corporations? Yes. So I um, I am taking new clients, always accepting new clients. I do virtual and in person. And so our practice is located out in Katy, Texas. I actually currently run a group at the practice that's geared towards teens and adolescents. Um, so we do have group therapy there. Um, that's like we have a women's group, a men's group, and then the teen group that I run. But Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's such a needed work, Kelsey. Teenagers, right? Oh, absolutely. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Because they will be the future adults and um, we need um, a more loving, right? And peaceful kind of uh, world in a sense of coming from the place where human beings are a lot more peaceful and loving within themselves so they can externalize that and manifest more love. What is success to you these days? How do you define success? Oh, I love that question. Um, I love that question because it's such a tough question. Um, I think it kind of goes into some of the things that we've talked about or the things that I really like to talk about is just like a lot of people identify success and like accolades and accomplishments and achievements. And I feel like for me, I've really done work and I'm really continuing to do work in identifying my success as an internal feeling. So just feeling happy and grounded and being able to look at myself daily and be like, if this is how it is for the next five years, are you going to be happy? And being able to, at the end of each day, say, yes, like the the life I'm cultivating is one that I am proud of. And it's one that I'm happy in. And it's one where I feel 
um, free. And I feel like for me, that is success. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? What three experiences? Hmm. um, When we were talking earlier about the adolescence, um, one of the things that had come up into my thoughts was the idea that I think everybody wants to be loved. And I'm not necessarily referring that to a romantic relationship, but I think one of the main experiences, even working with adolescents and CPS, is I feel like one of the main things I would want people to experience in their life is just this unconditional love by somebody um, to be able to walk away from life knowing that they were deeply, deeply loved um, is definitely one thing. I would also think an experience that I would want someone to have. Huh. That's such a good question. How's my brain really thinking? Um, You know, honestly, part of me would hope that somebody has an experience that really tried them to their core. Um, And I mean that in the most loving way, but I do feel like that some of the things that we go through, they make us who we are and we learn a lot about ourselves and the perseverance that we have through things. And so I would want somebody to go through something that was very trying for them and what that looks like for them. And each person is very, very, very different. Um, but something that really challenges them to overcome obstacles, something that challenges them to rise from the ashes, right? Like I would hope that people have that experience. And then I also hope people have the experience of just truly being lit with passion and something that they're so happy with and being in an environment like I was talking about with success, like I want someone else, I would want other people to experience that just total contentment with the life that they have created. Thank you so much, Kelsey, for your presence in our world and our reality, for this beautiful intention to help others to understand themselves and become more loving and peaceful and actually open up to life in the sense of finding deeper connections in hopefully encountering that unconditional love that you speak of. I mm-hmm. agree. So before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, services, and future projects? Mm-hmm. So I, um, you can find me on Psychology Today. It's uh, I have my profile up there, but you can also find me definitely on Prosperity Counseling's online website, Um, I hope to do some more work in like attachment based things. So maybe stay tuned for that. Um, but besides that, those are definitely two websites that you can find me on pretty easily. Wonderful. And I'll have the links on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, Kelsey. And we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Kelsey Shad and her work, please visit psychologytoday.com backslash US backslash therapists backslash Kelsey dash Shad dash Katie dash TX backslash 937-865 and prosperitycounseling.org backslash staff backslash Kelsey dash Shad dash LPC backslash. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.